Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 319th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting right across the world this week from the shores of Sydney Harbour in Sydney, Australia. It's a magnificent view with the Sydney Harbour Bridge, the Sydney Opera House and Luna Park, which is Australia's version of Coney Island. And I'm here for four days for some meetings with clients and then back to warm Los Angeles. It's summer here, but it's freezing. Tesla's been flavour of the month for many years now, but the question is, can they survive the new competition? General Motors and its crew's self-driving car division has staged their first demonstration of all-electric Chevy Bolt vehicles that can handle the streets of San Francisco without anybody's hands on the wheel or feet on the pedals. And what GM's achieved is spectacular. Getting an autonomous vehicle to self-navigate a complicated urban streetscape is a profound achievement. And Cruise isn't the only GM effort. Cadillac rolled out a semi-self-driving system earlier this year, enabling fully hands-free highway piloting. This concerted undertaking is aimed squarely at the perceived leader, Tesla. Now, Tesla's been around 14 years, and GM's been very happy to let Elon Musk take all the risks associated with electric and self-driving cars. But now GM's had three years of booming US sales. It's got a very healthy balance sheet, and it's ready to take its own risks. Tesla has one factory, 33,000 employees, and will sell 100,000 cars in 2017. GM has dozens of plants, over 200,000 employees, and builds a million cars a year. Now, Tesla's an extraordinary innovator, but after a decade and a half, Tesla still doesn't have scale. And in the auto industry, if you can manufacture more cars and trucks than the competitors and do so profitably, you will certainly win. You create a lucrative cycle. You have more cash to develop innovative vehicles when times are good and the resources defend, to defend and even capture market share when times are bad. Now, Tesla has been sheltered from this dynamic for two reasons. First, it's been making only electric cars, and although it dominated this market, the global EV market represents only about 1% of auto sales. Second, its cars up to this point have been high-priced luxury vehicles. Tesla could have as many as 500,000 pre-orders for the Model 3, and it's building just 120 a month. That means if you ordered one tomorrow, you'd get it in about 2,096. Tesla's burning over $1 billion a quarter to deliver 25,000 cars, and GM spends a billion a month 
to build a million cars. So aggressive, well-capitalised season competition to Tesla has arrived and arrived much sooner than expected. This demonstrates that Tesla's decade and a half lead is rapidly shrinking, particularly when it comes to self-driving technologies. Tesla's in constant danger of being relegated from leading player to playing catch-up. GM recently rolled out a plan to develop 20 electric vehicles worldwide in the next four years and use those cars to enter new businesses in the ride-hailing and ride-sharing as well as data monetization. Tesla thinks big, but it can't execute big. GM doesn't think as big as Tesla, but it always plans to execute at a global industrial scale as it is as it has done for over a hundred years. So we're witnessing this new economy, old economy struggle play out with Tesla and GM. Now, up to a point, Tesla can outcompete GM, but only up to a point. Then the harsh realities of building a large, expensive machines and lots and lots of them kicks in. So Tesla, Tesla builds beautiful cars, but unless it can start manufacturing them very quickly, it is going to be a disaster for them. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.73 million daily subscribers, mostly business executives from about 70 countries around the world, and it takes just 30 seconds to read. Well, sometimes it takes a minute, but it's pretty quick, short read, and every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine, we talk about new apps, new technology and we talk about things like Hyperloop and autonomous cars, blockchain, changes in medical technology. It's free and its information is invaluable. It's gratifying to see the tremendous response we get and particularly from corporations. Many corporations identify the newsletters that uh, they think pertains to their business and they circulate them to all their senior staff. And uh, that's fantastic because a lot of those people then subscribe. So thank you. If you're reading it, I really do appreciate it. If you don't get it, you should. It's amazing how, you know, if you read the last 400 that we've done, you would be right up to date with all of that technology happening around the world. You'd be right in there. So when you have dinner with your boss, you can impress upon them just how smart you are. So if you don't get it, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll. Now, you know, you when you go to the supermarket, you walk through and you see all the headlines, and, you know, they're eye-catching. They're powerful, aren't they? Melania Trump's leaving the White House. Home renovation cable star Joanna Gaines has abandoned a show and her husband. <laughs> Televangelist Joel Olstein's leaving his wife. Of course, none of these stories true, yet they've been promoted with prominent ads served up by Google on PolitiFact and Snopes. And these are fact-checking sites created precisely to dispel this bullshit. 
But these enticing headlines and large photos of the celebrities in question serve as bait to draw readers to fraudulent sites that masquerade as mainstream news sites, such as People and Vogue. The fake news ads display headlines at the top of the fact-checking sites that, once clicked, take readers to sites that mimic the logos and page designs of legitimate publications, but they're fake. And the fake publishers use Google's AdWords system to place the advertisements on websites that fit their broad parameters. But the Google systems were able to place fake news ads on websites dedicated to determining fake news reflects how the internet search giant continues to be used to spread misinformation. Facebook, Twitter and Google are all under scrutiny for how their automated ad systems may have been harnessed by the Russians to spread divisive, false and inflammatory messages and help elect Donald Trump. The Snopes and PolitiFact ads show just how broad the problem of online misinformation can be. Even websites whose mission is to promote accountability inadvertently wind up getting used. When alerted to the ads promoting untrue stories on their sites, Snopes and PolitiFact said there was little they could do. Google's AdSense, that's what's used by web publishers to sell display advertising on their sites, works through automated tools. So often advertisers are unsure where their ads are running, sometimes next to inappropriate or offensive content, and site owners don't know which ads will appear on the pages. Google, which sells more online advertising than any other technology firm, I mean, they've really tried to prevent fraudulent websites from making money off the spread of false stories. Earlier this year, Google kicked 340 websites and 200 publishers off its AdSense platform. And I heard this morning that they're appointing 10,000 more human checkers to try and eliminate this scourge. Now, most of these publishers that had been kicked off had created websites to peddle eye-catching but untrue political stories. But the websites that advertised on Snopes and PolitiFact took a different approach. These publishers paid Google to promote their content on legitimate websites to draw traffic to an ad pretending to be a news story, often carrying the banner of a mainstream news publication. But they were fake. And Google's called the process tabloid cloaking and says it suspended more than 1,300 advertiser accounts last year for tabloid cloaking. Now, the untrue story about Mrs. Trump's decision to leave Washington and the White House appeared at the top of PolitiFact. The display ad led to a fake Vogue news article claiming that the story was also featured on Yahoo, Vanity Fair and Time, among other publications, and none of this was true. So both PolitiFact and Snopes partnered with Facebook last year after the social network was criticised for abetting the spread of fake news during the 2016 presidential election. Their experiment 
in which viral and popular posts debunked by the fact checkers are marked as disputed. And when they're marked as disputed, they can't be promoted in news feeds. They expanded this and became much more aggressive. Google too, they've also attempted to dispel misinformation. Jigsaw, its tech incubator, developed a share the facts tool alongside the Duke University Reporters Lab. So, fake news is a real problem. And unless Google and Facebook, which are the biggest online sites, can eliminate fake advertising, leading people to fake sites, which is inundating the market with fake news, none of us are going to be able to determine what's true and what isn't. And that is a real problem. So today, I mean, we speak on this program, we spoke with a lot of very talented artists and we've spoken to a whole bunch of technology technology geeks about um, cryptocurrency and about um, blockchain and Ethereum and all the rest of them. But today, I've really cracked the jackpot. I've got an interview with an incredible young singer, songwriter and musician. She's just phenomenal. And she's also a data scientist and crypt not cryptologist. Now, that's a pretty pretty good combination. A great talent and a great data technician. Her name is Shalita Burke. She is a great lady. We've become very good friends. And uh, I just got a notice from Michael Garbett who said that um, she's got a big story Big stories breaking this week in the UK, which is great news. So let me begin just by reading a recent review. Here it goes. Burke's vocals combine the pulsating delivery of Alanis Morissette with the sultry smoothness of Sade, the calmness of Nora Jones, and the high-pitched runs of Joni Mitchell. Wow. How about that for a how would you like to have that as a, as a review? This girl is phenomenal. But what makes her really different is that she drives her music career using data science and blockchain. And we're going to talk to her about just how she does that. This girl is really something. So I'll be back with my friend, Shalita Burke after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, which is coming to you from Sydney Harbour in Australia, where it's cold and miserable. I leave here on Saturday. I can't wait to get back to Los Angeles where it's beautiful and warm and sunny, no rain. Wow. Be back in a minute after this short break. Do 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where for the past six years we've given you insights into the lives of over 330 of the world's most interesting people. We talk about what they do, what motivates them, and we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to be successful today. It doesn't matter what field you're in. And so we all need all the help and advice and guidance that we can get from those who have been out there and become successful. So the aim of this segment is to try and help you to be more successful. Now, on this program, we've spoken to a number of great musicians about their music careers and about and we've also spoken unrelatedly to the incredible influence that blockchain's having on business. Now today, I've really hit the jackpot today with an incredible young singer, songwriter and musician who is also a data scientist and cryptologist. I'm not sure what the hell a cryptologist is. However, her name is Shalita Burke and I love this girl. This girl is bubbly and fun and great talent and she's also bloody smart so let me get let me start this off by reading a review on a first ep um brilliant highly acclaimed debut ep transfixed that was released <clears throat> in 2015 the reviewer said burke's vocals combine the pulsating delivery of alanis morissette with the sultry smoothness of a sardé the calmness of Nora Jones and the high-pitched runs of Joni Mitchell. God, you can't get much better than that, can you? I mean, wow. No, this girl's really good. Originally from Seattle, she spent a few years traveling in Europe, soaking up influences from a myriad of cultures and developing her singular music style until she settled finally in Los Angeles. But let's go back a bit. Shalita started programming when she was eight and after graduating from the Northwest College of Art and Design, she went on to become a senior data engineer at Microsoft and playing gigs at night. So when she was younger, Shalita saw the opportunity that the internet could eventually provide to independent artists, so she left Microsoft and now pursues her music career full-time. Now, I know a heap of struggling actors and singers and musicians in Los Angeles and 
elsewhere here in Australia where I am at the moment. And um, Shalita's created a breakthrough path for talent. And it's really an interesting way to go and could make a difference to a lot of lives. I was introduced to Shalita by my good friend Michael Garbett, who's a really interesting character on his own, who's been handling promotion and publicity for every major talent in the world. I mean, seriously, you know, people from the BGs to Bowie to everybody. And he's he's a great guy, and he introduced us, and Shalita's become a friend to my, my, my wife Margie and I. And it's an absolute pleasure to have her on the show. Hi, Shalita. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. This is so exciting. It's a pleasure. I believe you're joining us for Christmas. I am joining you for Christmas. How cool is that? We've got a great bunch of people alone. It's pretty cool, yeah. We've got a great bunch of actors and people, and you, you'll love it a little bit. Last year, it was, it was just a fabulous day. So let's, let's begin by talking about your music career. What age were you when you sort of realised that, well, I've got the talent to write and sing and that I can take that talent somewhere? Well, I, honestly, it was when I was seven years old and I was selected to be the lead singer in the church choir. Okay. That's so, when I knew, knew. So, so that, that's when you realised you could sing. When did you realise you could actually write great songs? Well, unfortunately, I was really, really egotistic, you know, as a child. I thought I knew everything. And so, you know, when I was six years old, um, I thought I could write great songs. And then by the time I was 15, that's when I knew I could write. You know, I really knew, knew that I could write great songs. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty young. So it, while you were developing your singing and really enjoying your singing, you were also um, writing programming and stuff. Right, so I guess you're, you're yeah. one of those gener that generation that came through and that was sort of second nature to you. Yes, yes. But, you know, like a lot of people think of programming as something that, you know, you, you sit in a dark room and, you know, you're coding all night and you're, you know, what you're doing is isolating and boring. And I never saw programming like that. To me, programming is art. You're creating something from nothing. You know, like the computer is a blank canvas and you're, you're writing code from nothing, creating programs that do different functions. And to me, that's art. You know, it's no different than writing a song because, you know, when you write, you know, different programs, you're solving a problem. And some of those problems touch people. Some of those problems, you know, help them create a, a convenience factor in their lives. And songs do the same thing. Songs are like medicine for the heart, you know, and so I, I see them as both art, you know. I can understand. Not something that's like super boring that, you know, like people think of programming and cryptology and they think, oh my God, it's so hard or, you know, it's really boring and, you know, how could you get into something so technical? Well, it's not boring. It's, and it's, it has a lot of art factors, you know, a lot of creations and, you know, it requires a creative brain. It definitely does. I, 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 when I think of programmers, I always think of a dark room late at night, guys living with <laughs> chips and Coca-Cola and having absolutely no personality whatsoever. But <laughs> you don't seem to fit that mould. Um, so how did you actually break into the music business? When, what was your first break? My first break, actually, was when I got invited to a festival in Ireland called New Bloom, and it was a you know, like an industry showcase. And um, 
it was my first time to Ireland and uh, you have to apply online and things like that and they don't take a lot of applicants and they chose me and so that was my first like introduction into the industry and through that um, I've met some of the team members that I still work with today um, which is crazy because they had a sister chapter in LA and at the LA chapter is where I met some of my um, current teammates Oh, and um, I, I really believe that, you know, things like Bloom, where they put together showcases where people from the industry who actually care about musicians, you know, and, and want to do good, actually go and they look at talent and they actually do have resources to help artists that are starting out or a little further along in the journeys. And, um, and so the first year that I went to Bloom, I was performing and the second year I became a mentor. Oh, great. And a speaker at the conference, which I was really excited to do and be a part of because it was one of the launching pads for me. So you're, you're a data engineer at Microsoft and you're playing gigs at night. That's that's pretty tough road, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I was a performer for a lot of years, but I never tried to work during the day. I used to sleep all day. Um, so what was the trigger that said to you, okay, I'm going to give up my steady job at Microsoft that pays me every week, and I'm going to go out into the very insecure world of being a performer full-time. What what, what was the trigger? You, you just couldn't do it anymore, or you just decided to hell with it? Well, I'll give it a I, go. Well, I, I decided that what you put your focus on grows, and I noticed that as a, you know engineer, I had peaked because I started engineering at an early age, so I had gotten to the senior peak in my career and I just decided, wow, I reached the goals in this field that I was trying to reach. Musically, I'd like to expand and play in more countries and do more world tours and I can't do that if during the day I, my, my mind is occupied by something that doesn't fulfill me and my passions. And so I really do believe what you focus on grows. So I decided, wow, I really need to hone in to what I'm doing and dedicate 100% of my time to this. And through that, things started to really take off. And so that you Bloom offer to play at that festival in Dublin came right after I quit Microsoft. Okay. And then, you know, right after that, I got introduced to Scott Page of Pink Floyd. And uh, then right after that, he became, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he became my business partner yeah. and um, invited me to one of his radio shows at the time. And so I did that. And that's where I met the producer and my creative partner that I work with now that we've done like tons of hit songs with. And, um, you know, things just started to line up one after another after another when I really focused on music. And I think that, yes, it took some guts, but I'm very happy that I... <laughs> You know, it's kind of like a bird that needs to be pushed away from the nest to fly, yeah, you know? <laughs> I understand. It's like, you know you need to do it. It's just like having the courage to do it and not knowing what's going to happen after that. Because for me, I need a plan before I do anything. And I didn't have a solid plan before I quit my job. I just knew that's what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, finding Scotty Page, that's um, fortuitous. You know, Scotty's a, a mate of mine too, and he is... One of the things I like about talent that are really good is that they're so giving. And this is, 
I'm, was going to talk about it a bit later, but one of the things that I really admire about you is that you're so giving of your time and and your advice and and whatever. And that, I think that's what makes a great artist. You know, people who want to share and want to help other people. And Scotty's certainly that. So you've just released a new record. Tell us about that. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So I just released a special EP. And um, it's, it's interesting because before releasing this EP, I released, you know, two songs and it was like 90 days in between every release. Right. When I released the special EP, I released one song a week until the album came out. Right. And it, I noticed that, okay, I released one song and the song went viral and hit more than a million plays in 24 hours. And then I released the other song and then that one got like twice the amount of plays and then when I you know it was like this you know viral explosion when I released the entire album and um, I was not actually expecting that to happen I was expecting to at least at least work on the entire EP for the next like six months pushing it like hardcore and <laughs> with all the fans and things like that yeah. but it just started to take a life of its own <laughs> well that's what you want um What's the hardest part about breaking into music and, and the performing business in Los Angeles? I mean, everybody in the world has got any talent at all gravitates to Los Angeles because it's sort of the music and film and whatever capital of the world. Um, how, what's the hardest part about breaking? The young act that's out there listening now um, who sits there and thinks, Jesus, where do I start? Um, what's your well, advice to that? I would say... There is one thing that every single person in the entire universe has that they forget they have. And that is, every person has something unique about them, about the way they grew up in life and the way they see the world. And the more you focus on that uniqueness, and the more you focus on what that looks like, what that sounds like, that creates something that people gravitate to naturally. Yeah, that's interesting. Because so many people try to be like everybody else. So yeah. when you're unique, you stand out like a sore thumb yeah. in a big crowd. Yeah, that, that's interesting because when you think about that, it doesn't matter whether you grew up in the projects or grew up in Beverly Hills. You've got a unique set of experiences that, that people are interested in either way. Yes. Yeah. And the more that you can be the best you that you can be and no one can be a better you. And so focusing more on being the best you that you could be is one of the things that will help you be more successful. Geez, I'm still trying to find out what the me is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm good at something. I just can't quite put my finger on what. Um, well, I think every human being has the capacity and potential to, to be good at themselves, being good at you. Geez, you can fuck up a, long, a lot along the way, though, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Which is the beauty is the beauty of life. You know, like for instance, like when I was writing um the drive song, I wrote that song when I was super depressed and not feeling the best about myself and you know, I I wanted to find the beauty within those moments mm. and channel it through a song. Because songs to me are medicine, you know, and I when I do that, I'm doing that with all the things that I have in my body, in my mind, and what I see visually. And they're not someone else's interpretations. They're my interpretations. Yeah. 
And sometimes that gets a little like, oh my gosh, this is a vulnerable place because what if someone doesn't connect to what I'm seeing? But at the end of the day, humanity connects to everything you're seeing because we're just here to be observers for the universe. And so the more unique perspectives that we have to add to this beautiful place called life, the more we can collectively understand ourselves, understand our environment, and understand the communities. Because for me, like music is all about connection. When I'm on stage, it's all about connection. When I'm writing songs, it's all about my, my internal connection, you know, and connecting with people and engaging directly with people without interference to me and my music, you know. Yeah. But that's just how I feel about it. That's exactly Everybody else has their own journey. So. True. Nothing moves people like music does, and nothing, nothing brings back memories like music does. Um, oh, yes. Not a, they don't necessarily have to be great memories, but they, they're nevertheless memories. Um, you don't leave anything to chance. You sort of trust your career to data science and blockchain, and, and you take a deliberate approach to reaching out and building your fan base. It, you've grown your tribe, as you call them, to, what, 300,000 or so on Twitter. That's extraordinary because that's up there with, you know, a lot of artists who've had heaps of songs on the Billboard Hot 100. How do you do that? I mean, how do you, for a layman, how does that work? How, okay. do, you, how do you use um, blockchain, for example, to build your database and your fan loyalty? Well, what I would say is there's, there's different ways to do that. And so one of them, so I'll start with the first question, and that is how do you build a big fan base on any of these social media platforms? Well, the first thing you do is you think about what part of your personality can someone else in your neighborhood connect to? Right. Think about that. Think about your closest friends and think about why do my closest friends connect with me? And once you think about that space, Think about when you connected la the last time with another human being. Think about what that space looked like, what it sounded like, what it felt like, and then create something that you can put on your social media channel that channels that feeling that you felt. Your audience will connect to that, and that feeling of connection is contagious, and that's when the sharing comes in. People share things that have value to them. When, think of every share that you see on any piece of content that hits your phone or your desktop computer or your laptop as, wow, this many people shared the value of what I'm looking at. Now, it doesn't mean that the thing that you're looking at is high-quality content. It just meant that that content spiked a contagious reaction of behavior that's shared across multiple human beings. So what you're doing... And so you, you have to think about... Oh, as, um, go? <laughs> no, I, I'm just, I was just going to say, what you're saying is you're looking at yourself and working out what your psychographic personality is and then you're out there appealing to people who have a similar um, psychographic personality, right? You're just hitting all those people yes. that are similar and having them build a relationship with you because they feel a kindred spirit. Is that how it works? Yes, and so basically you are building community by leading with your values, which means you're creating an emotional connection with people by showcasing what you believe in. Right. 
Um, another problem for artists and one that I hear all the time is about getting paid and getting paid, you know, in some sort of reasonable amount of time. Now, a lot of times royalties don't pay out for six to nine months and it doesn't matter whether you're an actor or a singer or whatever, royalties seem to take forever. Um, so for the release and release of your album special, you use blockchain technology to sort it out yourself so that you are in control yes. of royalties. How did that work? And so the way that worked is I created an Ethereum smart contract and everyone involved in the project gets paid directly when a sale is made directly on my website. When the sale is made through iTunes and the other places like you know Spotify royalties and things like that, they get paid directly, but they get paid directly after the aggregator pays me and then it routes the payments to them accordingly. And so what does that mean? It means that wh whether it's iTunes or direct to my website, there's blockchain technology behind the payment routing the payments without a human being being there. Right, so people... And so people get paid much faster. And I guess they're really pleased about that, right? <laughs> yes. Another thing is, um, currently, I take all my musician royalty checks and I put them into cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Right. And I do this because we get paid traditionally from the traditional platforms like... You know, like, you know, when someone makes an iTunes purchase or when someone makes an Amazon purchase or when you're at a website and you're making a purchase, you get paid anywhere between six to nine month intervals. Yep. And so if you take the big check that you get or the small check that you get or whatever the check you get and put it into cryptocurrency, you've already waited the six to nine months to get paid. So you might as well wait six to nine months to spend the money. Sure. And so by the time you get to spending the money, the value of, of the dollar in, in your bank account stays the same amount for six months. But if you take it and you put it into Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Litecoin, the, the probability of the value of it changing during that six to nine month period is actually higher than in your bank account. Absolutely. So we can, we can look forward to seeing you racing up and down Sunset Boulevard in your new Ferrari, right? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a long-term thinker, so probably in two to three years. <laughs> By that time, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to afford one. <laughs> okay, you, you've got an interesting um, way to determine what you're going to write about. Now, Shalita writes uh, every day, um, morning, afternoon, and evening. She just constantly writes songs. And she actually gets her inspiration in a different way than most songwriters that I know of. Tell us a little bit about, you wake up in the morning and you say, ha, huh, I've got an idea for a song. How does that, how did that, what's that process? Well, I'm inspired by all of the sounds that we hear around us. Like every sound, like the, the closing of a door or me waking up and, you know, like turning over the covers, like the sound of that me walking outside and going into a lift car and the car is being opened or closed. Like all of these sounds trigger songs for me. And the reason that happens for me is because we relate to what's familiar and there's a lot of familiar sounds that we grow up with, that we are in environments with that actually connect to us in ways that we're not consciously aware of. And so I like to use those sounds as a starting point into a song 
And then as I'm talking amongst friends or new people I don't know and having, you know, casual conversations, I take lines from those conversations and I put them into songs. And then I mirror that into like a relationship that I'm going through or um, a relationship I want to happen. And um, some of my songs are just reflections of this is what I want to happen. (laughs) This is the ideal universe. (laughs) So you've just written a few new songs, I believe, and um, you'll go into the studio soon and record those? Yes, yes. I'm really excited about them. Um, One of the songs is about sleeping. Sleeping. I write a lot about sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it's something we all have to do and um, it, it's, it's funny because it, it's kind of like a, uh, a part two of the drive song because the drive song is the hook is you don't go to sleep because you have to drive home right. and that's about driving and sleeping but this song is like part two like what happens when you actually get home you know and you have to go to sleep because you have no other choice but to get up in the morning and do it all over again yeah and so I, I'm, I'm writing about the nuance between right when you fall asleep and you go into this dream-like land and how you can have something called lucid dreaming. Right. And lucid dreaming means you control your dream and you, you set a conscious intention of what you want the dream to be. And then during the, the dream, you like take control actually in the dream and it becomes the dream that you want it to be. And that for me is a metaphor for life. Because we make our realities happen based on how we think about what we're seeing and experiencing. So do you keep a pad and pen next to your bed and you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go, aha, I just thought of a brilliant new line for, or I just came up with a chorus for this song, middle eight for this song. Well, I'm actually normally up at 3 a.m. You what? And the way that... (laughs) What? And the way that it happens I didn't know there was a 3 a.m. The way it naturally happens for me is if I don't remember the line, I have a really good memory, but if I don't remember the line, if the line doesn't come back to me, then I know that the line wasn't catchy enough. Like, I focus a lot on choruses and catchy hooks and... For me, if I can remember the line a day or three days or four days later, then I write it down just to record it into memory even deeper. And then I know that I may or may not have something. Yeah. Um, I just had a note put in front of me saying, and I get an email in from my great friend, Freddie Ravel. Um, He's listening to this and he, he he says he wants to meet up with you and Margie and I for dinner when we get back from Australia. Um, now, Freddie began playing with Sergio Mendez when he was really young, and then he went to Santana for a lot of years, and then Earth, Wind and Fire, and he wrote the music. I love Earth, Wind and Fire. He, I love Earth, Wind and Fire. And he wrote the music um, for Evita with Madonna. So he's he's um, a fairly accomplished guy. He's a, he's a bundle of talent, and Freddie... Seriously, wrote me an email, um, which I've just got, and he said that um, he wants to catch up with us, and we see him all the time. Um, We've been good friends for years, but he wants to catch up with you and us when we get back to LA. He he, he left out the bit about him paying the bill, though. I'm I'm sure he meant to put that in. (laughs) But, so that's that's a date when we we get back. so, 
where do you go from here? What's what's next for Shalita Burke? Where do you what do you want to achieve in the next twelve months, and then five years and ten years? Where do you want to be? Well, in the next couple of months, I have not scheduled this yet, but I do. In, I set an intention, and I go make it happen. I intend to go on another tour next year. Right. I intend to play at um, more festivals and spread the the music to more people. I intend to inspire more other musicians and having sustainable structures. And I, for right now, in two to three, I would say two to three years, my intention is to set up a big hedge fund that will fund musicians without strings attached that come with the team attached. So no strings attached, just a team attached so that the, you know, the person making the music and creating these beautiful song babies gets to own all of their creative work and the team helps them get there and they're completely financed so that we could have more beautiful music in the world and so that we could have structures where musicians have a safe place to go and to express their art and express themselves in a way that's not financially or economically strained. So that's what I intend to do in the next, you know, two to three years. That is a great idea. It's kind of an incubator for like uh, like um, startups have where they can go in and get all the services that they need and to help them build their business it's, so it's like a, an incubator for, for music so you can go in and yes. no matter what aspect of music you need help with then it's, it's right and notice I didn't say the word label because this is not a label it's not an anti-label but it's not a label it's just a new business model for artists the label business is dead, isn't it? Um, I don't. I don't feel like I could use the word dead. I would use the word it's transforming. Okay. Just like <laughs> our choice between vinyl and MP3 doesn't make vinyl dead. It just makes the, the MP3 as a transformative state of the way people are consuming music. Right. I think the same thing happens in every industry when it comes to business. Yeah, there's been a there's been a huge shakeup. Um, I think there's been a giant shakeup right across all industries. It doesn't matter whether it's you know Airbnb and the hotel industry or Uber and Lyft and the taxi industry. There's been a huge change. But I think that the change in music and the way music is not only recorded and distributed, but how it. it um, um, where people get their music from and how they buy music is is probably as big a change as any transformation in any industry. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I do relate it to the book industry. When you look at the way books are being distributed now and how all these amazing bookstores have been getting shut down. Yeah. You know, we used to have Borders Book and they went under and now the only one we really have left is like Barnes and Nobles. Right. But the, you, you know, and so... Do you think it's easier? My last book um, went out through a... Just, you know, it, it was put out through a publisher uh, and then distributed by the publisher. And, and 
they still have a hell of a lot of muscle. I mean, the first time I saw my book in Barnes & Noble, I walked into Barnes & Noble in Washington, D.C. with my son. He was going to college there and, you know, there's something about walking in and seeing your books on display and, you know, all of that. And that's got to... Do you sell more books going through a big distributor and whatever, or do you think... Record, let's go back to to songs do you sell more songs if you've got the muscle of a of a, a label behind you or, or can you achieve those sales now i'm not talking about a huge act i'm not you know but it, it, an average a good talent a good talent that's out there can you sell as many uh songs through the new distribution channels as you can if you've got a big label behind i think it would take longer to do it without a label yeah. I don't think it's impossible, but it takes longer without a label. And also, the songs have to be good. So let's assume that the songs are monstrously amazing. Yeah. Let's start there with the criteria. Yeah. And when it comes to sales, the, the behavior of the customer is no longer to buy music. It's to stream music. Because the, the music lover is now with this dilemma of, why buy one album when I can pay $10 and own every album of multiple artists? I mean, that hurts artists, but that's what the consumer is being challenged with. Get your and so in, in that way, yes, in, in that way, you know, it, it's being transformed, like the, the relationship is being transformed. And, you know, there are artists out there that are selling more albums than major label artists. But that, that key data point is reflective of where the industry is moving. The industry is moving more towards streaming than it is on sure. direct album sales. Absolutely. And so that's reflective of what we're seeing. So can independent artists make more money now? Because labels were notorious for... If they have amazing songs and a really good, tight business structure and a really amazing team, yes. It does take longer, but yes. And if they have the economic resources to compete at a major level level, then I do believe they could make more money. Yeah, though I guess one of but those having all of those factors and, and you know working for you at the same time is extremely difficult in today's marketplace. And one of the difficulties, I guess, is that you've got to have a video, and videos are expensive. Um, well, I, I actually disagree. I, you know, like, for instance, I do not have not one music video out for my current album. Not to say that I won't put them out, but I put the music out because I wanted the music to lead first. And then later I will put out music videos. Right. Because it's all about the audio. And on YouTube, even now, when people go to music channels, they're listening to the audio now and they're putting down their laptops. And they're not even seeing the music videos. Oh, that's interesting. Like there's been, there's two studies out right now as we speak that shows this data where people aren't looking at the music video anymore. They're hearing the audio because they can't stand to see all these ads. <laughs> and that's why when you look at podcasting and radio shows, the reason why those are taking off, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is because it's audio. Yep. You can listen to it in the car. You can listen to it while you are at home and doing other things. And no ads. And you don't ads. have to be in front Hallelujah. of... No ads, right? <laughs> and you don't have to be in front of a screen to hear the audio. And, and that's really... Like, audiobooks have been taken off 
more than ever now. Podcasts have been taking off. Things that don't have this visual element to it. Now, that does not diminish the quality of these visual elements. It just means that, you know, until you get to a certain part of your artistic journey, you know, it depends on what you want to do as an artist. It's not a must-have. At the start of this interview, I said this girl's a dynamo and really smart. And I think that the last 35 minutes or so have just proven, you know, how smart and how... This girl is a star. And... um, Shalita, I'm so glad that you took time out for your schedule to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And um, if if you'd like to find about more about Shalita, Shalita Burke, and want to listen to her music, go to Shalita Burke, S-H-A-L-I-T-A, Burke, B-U-R-K-E. S-H-E-L-I-T-A. Oh, S-H-E. L-I-T-A, sorry. Shalitaburg.com. And um, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. And Shalita, I'll see you at Christmas. Yes, thank you so much for having me. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week, broadcasting from the shores of beautiful Sydney Harbour in Australia. This show and my daily newsletter, they both focus on entrepreneurs. We love entrepreneurs. We love people that go out and shake the world up and challenge the norm and and put themselves out in a limb. And this is a great story about a video review site that has become a $575 million business. Brandon Everts started Big Unlimited when he was just 19 years old. He got a loan of 500 bucks from his father. And the pair listed Big Unlimited on the Australian Securities Exchange, which is a stock exchange, just recently. And now Brandon is taking on the United States with Big Unlimited's purchase of consumer app and platform Tipsley for 4.2 million bucks. Now, Brandon struggled with dyslexia throughout school and relied on video tutorials to keep up to date. And he says that this helped him realize the significance of video. And he believes the future of the internet is going to be video driven. I think people don't appreciate the challenges of dyslexia. My son was dyslexic and it puts you at a huge disadvantage early in your life at school. And uh, now he's doing really well and he's at Google and he, um, he's actually in Tokyo today. And uh, so long term, you can overcome it, but it is a struggle. You really have to fight to beat it. So that's first tick for Brandon. 
Now, Brandon had been estranged from his father, Richard, but the pair reunited. Instead of going to university, Brandon went travelling around Australia in a camper van with his dad coming up with business ideas. He was reading a review on a text review site and thought there needs to be a site where people can go to see professional videos of businesses. He saw a gap in the market for a social media platform for video-based reviews, given that so many review sites such as Yelp and TripAdvisor rely primarily on written reviews. There was nothing that resembled that business model at all on the market. It took him six months to get the idea right, but his, his focus on video was perfectly timed with independent analyst Cisco predicting 70% of the internet's traffic will be video by the end of 2017. And Mark Zuckerberg described video as the next mega trend. So he used the 500 bucks from his father to buy some business cards and build a website with just a single landing page. And this uh, website became Big Review TV, a video review site that charges small business owners to use the site while keeping the service free to the public. Big Review TV has now produced, listen to this, 30,000 videos for businesses around the world and last year turned over 13 million bucks. They create professional content through a video subscription model. Now, Big Review TV creates the videos, posts them on its platform and businesses can access the video for 12 months. Upfront fees to produce a promotional video start at just 399 bucks. I'm uh, looking at a promotional video at the moment and uh, nothing really, really, really fancy and we're up in the many, many thousands. So 399 bucks is pretty cheap. And the monthly subscription for participating businesses begins at $7.50, increasing to 1000 bucks. The reality is that every single business needs video to remain relevant because search is prioritising video now. Big Unlimited listed on the Australian Stock Exchange and now has a staff of over 100 and it's got a market cap of $575 million and Brandon's father's chief executive. Brandon said VCs wanted too much equity so they decided to list and they've been one of the top performing stocks on the Australian Stock Exchange, and they're growing exponentially. Tipsley helps them with their tech mobile application and also has over 100,000 SMEs, and this gives them a great beachhead in the United States for them to on-sell their video. No one in the US market is doing what they're doing, so they'll leverage it while they can. Now, um, Google set out to make its mark on the headphone world with Pixel Buds wireless headphones that can control your phone and claim to translate conversations in real time. Well, the translation, translation feature is promising, but it's not perfect. But it's good for travellers or others who want to have a simple, if somewhat halting, chat in another language. So if you're heading off to another country where, they don't, where you don't speak the language, then the... Um, Pixel Buds may well be answered, but it only works with um, Google's latest, 
latest smartphone, the Pixel 2. So you need to um, have a Pixel 2 to be able to use it. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary because anybody can do the ordinary, few people can do the impossible. It's better to aim for the stars and miss than aim for the gutter and succeed, which is what most people do. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing it can be. We surround ourselves with people that aren't normal and that um, is inspiring and interesting and challenging and I hate boring people. So I hope you have a sensational week. I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.